I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo! <clears throat> I sound Happy like I picked Halloween. up smoking, but it's just the weather changed here in Chicago. So, <laughs> and it's in the process Our... of doing that here. But then it's gonna like my sister-in-law said. It'll get cold on Halloween, thank goodness. But then, like, next weekend, it's going to be in the 70s again. Yeah. yeah, it was in, like, the 70s all last week. And I was like, well, this is unseasonably warm for late October. And then I got a notice last night, like, freeze warning. I'm like, oh, cool. There go my sinuses. Yeah, I'm supposed to give a ghost tour tomorrow night. And I think the temperatures are going to be in the 40s. Which Ooh, I love it. I mean, no, not me, not me, not me. Not but me. you'll be walking, <laughs> so at least you know you'll have you'll warm up. No. No. But I'm gonna go, I want to go ahead and preface this episode. I need sweat. Yes, by saying I was diagnosed not not super ADHD, but I did go get tested. And yeah, it, it really has surprised me because everybody I've talked to, including these two lovely ladies, has said their test was different. Yeah. Like, even for kids, like my my good friend Michelle has a son who's ADHD, and she's like, yeah, we just sat in a room with a lady for five minutes, and she asked him a couple of questions. Right. I had a fucking sensor strapped to my forehead and had to look at a screen for 20 That minutes. is so weird. Yeah. Like, weird. I had a questionnaire, and then I had, like, I talked to the doctor, and she asked me, like, a series of questions. Sheena had to fill out like my third person, like, have you seen Hannah do any of this whack shit? And Sheena's like, Yes, I've seen her do all of this shit. All of the above. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and was... I just had a questionnaire. So yeah. it was crazy. I mean, I'm glad because I feel like it was probably more effective. Um, but yeah, so I'm on day three of my new ADHD meds. So I am really I might sound a little more excitable than you like. I don't know. I may sound stimulants a are an adjustment. Yeah, yes. yeah stimulants are a hundred percent an adjustment. So I may yep. sound a little overexcited today, which I'm is here great. for it. I love feeling. Wait, yeah, we're all, we're all excited about Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even need coffee anymore. <laughs> I'm drinking. I mean, I, I don't need. I it. <laughs> still do coffee, even though they told me not Same. to. And Same. it's so funny because, like, over Christmas when I was at my parents' house. There was a couple days where I just didn't take my Vyvanse because I was like, I'm not really doing any work stuff. Right. I don't really need to concentrate. And then the morning I took my Vyvanse, my mom's like, you have not shut up in 10 minutes. So I was like, <laughs> I took my street legal mess. <laughs> yeah. And I'm about to be everybody's problem. Yes. <laughs> well, that's yep. how don't I am when it? I have coffee normally. I'll get like that. Um, but yeah, so I've at least cut it back. I only do coffee in the morning. Um, yeah so but yes we've got a few few announcements before we get started we got lots of fun stories for everybody today yes so i want to give a shout out to listener stephanie who was in chicago last week and who i wanted to get together with but life sucks (laughs) life and being an adult fucking blows but i will get to see you at some point and if you are coming through please let me know i am going to i will make every effort to come hang out because I fucking love Chicago. I fucking love you guys. And I'm so honored that you like think of us when you're like pulling through our different towns. It makes me so happy. Yes. And of course, so Stephanie, ev- I love you. I will see you. 
And if any of you are ever in Memphis or North Mississippi, you can always hit me and Sheena up. You'll get yep. a two-for-one special. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I'll make them FaceTime me so yeah. I can see everybody. It'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah, and if I have any new listeners who have started listening since um, taking any of the many, many tours I've given this month, um, hi. Um, I don't know what brought you here, whether it was a ghost tour or a string of pearls from Scandals and Scoundrels or a treat bag or whatever. I'm just happy you're here. Yay. We're glad to have you. Yeah. And theoretically, I'm giving my last cemetery tour of the season this Saturday, November 4th. It's the writer's tour. The plot thickens at Elmwood Cemetery. Um, If someone buys a ticket, I don't know that anyone has. Um, I think this tour is a dud, and frankly, I figure if no one buys a ticket to this one, we're probably going to kill it off, but um, that's okay. When is it? When is it? Saturday. So. I'll make, well, yeah, we're, post a link or something so I can share it, and then tell me when you do so I don't forget, but that's, mm -mm, no, that can't, you can't kill it. It's, it's, it's a fantastic tour and I'm going to talk to Adam. That's his birthday. I want to make, oh, yeah. go, go do that. Yeah. There's no, no, no be a cute little date night. Yeah. yeah. And well, it's in the morning. It's at 1030 in the morning, which is, you know, no, no not fun, but it's supposed to be back in the seventies. It's going to yeah. be nice. Um, and like I said, I know people may be like, oh, a tour all about dead writers. How boring. But like I've said before, I've got a lot of crazy stories on there. So. You know um, what you should do, me giving unsolicited advice, is um, talk to somebody at Ole Miss and see if yeah. you can have a class come or that's something they can do for extra credit. Well, and I thought, too, about I would love to get the word out to book clubs in Memphis. Yeah. And I would love to put up flyers at the local libraries and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I also don't have the bandwidth for it just because, again, I mean, I have a creepy doll out front. It's still there. I have a leak in my apartment. So various... It's three weeks now. My apartment season. Yeah. It has come for me. season's coming for us. It's been been a I was having a sad bitch moment. So I made my playlist the uh, songs for sad sluts, which my mom was like, nice name. I'm like, hey, well, you know, I'm on brand. Sometimes, okay. Um, Sometimes I'm a sad slut. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to be sad. The TikTok that has the audio from Lonesome Dove where he's like, well, at least you got your whores. And I'm like, (laughs) touche, touche. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of um, whores, well, I don't know. It kind of, but I'm like, (laughs) none of them are whores. I wanted to give a shout out to, no, just dead people. (laughs) Because, I mean, that's what I'm going to talk about, but. Um, I mean, that's what I talk about on my tours, generally speaking, but a shout out to the latest paranormal investigation show. Yes, but this with my girlfriend a- and love of my life, Kristen Stewart. Hey, case to call me. <laughs> um, Living for the Dead is a new paranormal investigation show on Hulu. It has an all-queer cast. Um, my One of my favorite comedians podcasters Roz hernandez is on the team so that's how i got like 
roped into it. I'm like, oh, I, I love her. Let me go see what this is about. And I fell in love with the entire cast. They are so sweet. And they seem like they are so sensitive and thoughtful about the way they go about these investigations. And they're just all hilarious. I mean, it's so cool because in, in one episode, you'll like be crying and then you'll be laughing and then you'll be a little scared. Like, what is going on? It's just there's such no a good... asking the ghosts to square up. No, not at all. It's it's so charming. Um, and they they do such a good job. And I just I've really enjoyed it. I hope it comes back for another season because I I thought it was excellent. I've really enjoyed watching it. So more power to that. Um, but we have a bunch of spooky stories for you because it's Halloween week. Um, some of us are reading creepy pastas. Some of us are telling local legends. Some of us are, t- are talking about spooky houses. So Hannah, I think you're going to kick us off. Yeah. And as a bonus at the end, you guys will get to hear uh, one of my original stories. So. I cannot wait. Can't wait. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so do you guys want to talk about creepy shit in the forest, or do you want to talk about an entire city disappearing? Forest. Let's yes, forest. You want to start with the forest? Okay. This is um from the No Sleep um subreddit. Our college BFF, Miss Rima Shadra, my Sinek, voices the No Sleep podcast sometimes. Mm-hmm. So give her a listen. She is marvelous and I love her. And she has one of the cutest children I have ever seen Adorable. in my life. Yeah. Absolute gem. So, but this is from the no sleep Reddit. Um, this was posted back in 2015. So this one's been on the internet a while. Um, the title is I'm a search and rescue officer for the U S forest service. I have some stories to tell. Oh, I bet. I wasn't sure where else to post these stories, so I figured I'd share and my headphones are doing a crackle thing right now and it's really giving oh, no. me ambiance and I fucking love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been an SAR officer for a few years now, and along the way I've seen some things that I think you guys will be interested in. I have a pretty good track record for finding missing people. Most of the time they just wander off the path or slip down a small cliff and they can't find their way back. The majority of them have heard the old stay where you are thing and they don't wander far. But I've had two cases where that didn't happen. Both bother me a lot and I use them as motivation to search even harder on the missing person cases I get called on. The first was a little boy who was out berry picking with his parents. He and his sister were together and both of them went missing around the same time. Their parents lost sight of them for a few seconds and in that time, both the kids apparently wandered off. Lori, is that not like your greatest fear ever being in public with your children? Absolutely. Oh my God. Because kids are fucking Houdini. Mm-hmm. They are just like, boom. I don't, well, I don't get it. I had a leash for Sawyer when he was Oh little. yeah. If I ever have a kid, they're getting leashed and I don't care absolutely. who makes fun of me. No, absolutely. So... When their parents couldn't find them, they called us and we came out to search the area. We found the daughter pretty quickly. And when we asked where her brother was, she said he, she told us he had been taken away by, quote, the bear man. Oh, yay. (laughs) She said he gave her berries and told her to stay quiet and that he wanted to play with her brother for a while. Please don't tell me Sasquatch is a pedo. I'm going to be very upset. I know. The last she saw of her brother... 
He was riding on the shoulders of the bear man and seemed calm. Of course, our first thought was abduction, but we never found a trace of another human being in that area. The little girl was also insistent that he wasn't a normal man, but that he was tall and covered in hair like a bear and that he had a weird face. We searched the area for weeks. It was one of the longest calls I'd ever been on, but we never found a single trace of the kid. The other was a young woman who was out hiking with her mom and grandpa. According to the mother, her daughter had climbed up a tree to get a better view of the forest, and she'd never come back down. They waited at the base of the tree for hours, calling her name before they called for help. Again, we searched everywhere and never found a trace of her and no idea where she could have possibly gone because neither her mother or her grandpa saw her come down. A few times I've been out on my own searching with a canine and they've tried to lead me straight off cliffs, not hills, not even rock faces, straight sheer cliffs with no possible handholds. It's always baffling. And in those cases, we usually find the person on the other side of the cliff or miles away from where the canine had led us. I'm sure there's an explanation, but it's sort of strange that dog's trying to kill you. Yeah. Uh, One one particularly sad case involved the recovery of a body. A nine-year-old girl fell down an embankment and got impaled on a dead tree at the base. It was a completely completely freak accident, but I'll never forget the sound her mother made when we told her what happened. She saw the body bag being loaded into the ambulance and she let out the most haunting heartbroken wail i've ever heard it was like her whole life crashing down around her and a part of her had died with her daughter i heard from another sar officer that she killed herself a few weeks after it happened she couldn't live with the loss of her daughter oh that's not spooky that's just horribly sad yeah i was teamed up with another sar officer because we'd received reports of bears in the area We were looking for a guy who hadn't come home from a climbing trip when he was supposed to, and we ended up having to do some serious climbing to get to where we figured he'd be. We found him trapped in a small crevasse with a broken leg. It was not pleasant. He'd been there almost two days, and his leg was very obviously infected. We were able to get him into a chopper, and I heard one of the EMTs, and I heard from one of the EMTs, Jesus Christ, that the guy was absolutely inconsolable. He kept talking about how he'd been doing fine, and when he got into the top, a man was there. He said the guy had no climbing equipment, and he was wearing a parka and ski pants. He walked up to the guy, and when the guy turned around, he said he had no face. It was just uh -uh. blank. No. (laughs) He He freaked out. Yeah. (laughs) And ended up trying to get off the mountain too fast, which is why he'd fallen. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I would too. I would too. That's like when you're a kid and you're coming up the basement stairs and you're just like flying because you're just sure something's about to kill you. Absolutely. (laughs) He said he could hear the guy all night climbing down the mountain and letting out these horrible muffled screams. That story bothered the hell out of me. I'm glad I wasn't there to hear it. One of the scariest things I've ever had happen to me involved the search for a young woman who'd gotten separated from her hiking group. We were out until late at night because the dogs had picked up her scent. When we found her, she was curled up under a large rotten log, which is exactly what I would do. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to Keebler elf it and I am getting under a log. <laughs> <laughs> she was missing her shoes and pack and she was clearly in shock. She didn't have any injuries, and we were able to get her to walk with us back to base ops. Along the way, she kept looking behind us and asking why 
that big man with black eyes was following us. No. We couldn't see anyone, so we just wrote it off as some weird symptom of shock. But the closer we got to base, the more agitated this woman got. She kept asking me to tell him to stop making faces at her. Oh, God. At one point, <laughs> at one point she stopped and turned around and started yelling into the forest, saying that she wanted him to leave her alone. She wasn't going to go with him, she said, and she wouldn't give us to him. We finally, it, woo, I'd be like, you know what? Pick her up. We're running. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got to her. We finally got her to keep moving. But we started hearing these weird sounds coming from all around us. It was almost like coughing, but more rhythmic and deeper. It was almost insect-like. I don't know how else to describe it. When we were within sight of the base camp, the woman turns to me, her eyes about as wide as I can imagine a human could open them. She touches my shoulder and says, he says to tell you to speed up. He doesn't like looking at the scar on your neck. I have a very small scar on the base of my neck, but it's mostly hidden under my collar, and I have no idea how this woman saw it. Right after she says it, I heard the weird coughing right in my ear, and I just about jumped out of my skin. I hustled her to camps, trying not to show how freaked out I was, but I have to say, I was really happy when we left the area that night. This is the last one I'll tell, and it's probably the weirdest story I have. Now, I don't know the, if this is true at every SAR unit, but in mine, it is an unspoken regular thing we run into. You can try asking about it with other SAR officers, but even if they don't know what you're talking about, they probably won't say anything about it. We've been told not to talk about it by our superiors, and at this point, we've all gotten so used to it, it just doesn't seem weird anymore. On just about every case where we've where we're really far into the wilderness, I'm talking thirty or forty miles at some point, we'll find a staircase in the middle of the woods. It's almost like if you took the stairs in your house, cut them out, and put them in the forest. I asked about it the first time I saw some, and the other officer told me not to worry about it, that it was normal. The hell it is. Everyone I asked said the same thing. I wanted to go check them out, but I was told very emphatically that I should never go near any of them. I just sort of ignore them now when I run into them because it happens so frequently. Stay okay. out of the woods. <laughs> also, can I just say, okay, the guy had black eyes and he was making faces at her. Dude, pick one. That's a right? lot. Okay. You don't get to do both. <laughs> That's like that little weird kid in the grudge. I'm like, okay, first of all, mm -mm. small children, creepy. Second of all, you don't get to do that weird cat meow at me. Pick a struggle. 100%. All right, Luhu, terrify us. Yes, 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 yes. So my story is about a haunted bridge. Um, and of course, none of this is corroborated by anything, but it's a fun <laughs> legend. So we're going to go with it. So. Before we get into the story of Stucky's Bridge, let's take a quick look at the origin story of the man the bridge is allegedly named for. As with all legends, there are multiple variations of who the man called Stucky was, mm -hmm. but most of them credit him with being a member of the infamous Dalton Gang, which was led by former lawmen turned outlaws Bob, Gratt, Bill, and Emmett Dalton. Active from 1890 until 1892, the demise of the gang came when ringleader Bob got the bright idea to rob two banks in one day because he wanted to, quote, beat anything Jesse James ever did. Uh -huh. They really didn't try with Grat, did they? <laughs> yeah. No, it's short for something, but I don't know what it's short this for. This one, Grat. <laughs> 
the location of the heist was the Coffeyville, Kansas, or the location of the heist was Coffeyville, Kansas, and the targets were the Condon and First National Bank. On October 5th, 1892, Gratt and a few gang members entered the Condon Bank while Bob and Emmett entered First National. At some point during these robberies, an American Express agent, because American Express was a thing in the 1890s. Yeah, so was Wells Fargo. It's insane. Close my mind. So this agent opened fire, which prompted an epic shootout that ended with the deaths of Gratt and Bob Dalton, as well as a couple others. Emmett survived, but not before receiving 24 gunshot wounds. Jesus. Now, remember, there's four Daltons. So the oldest one, or I don't know if he's the oldest one, Bill was waiting outside of town with the horses, the getaway horses. And upon hearing of the failure of the heist, he fled. Grat, not Grat. What? I did that wrong. Emmett, not Grat. (laughs) I just love that name so much. Emmett was given a life sentence for his part in the crime, but he only served 14 years before being pardoned and moving to Hollywood, where he became a real estate agent, author, <laughs> and actor, and lived until 1937 when he died at the age of 66. Well, quite a bang. third act. So yeah. good on you, Emmett Dalton. <laughs> okay, so how is all of this related to Stucky's Bridge? Well, allegedly, there was a member of the gang named Stucky. And while some stories will say that he left the gang while they were going through South Mississippi, I like the version where he fled after the epic failure of the Coffeyville heist. And he made his way down to rural Mississippi, where he established a small inn on an old stage road on the banks of the Chunky River in Lauderdale County. (laughs) Could you imagine, though? I'm sorry, my brain just yeah twenty getting shot twenty four times in the 1890s with and those living. guns. Yes, it's not like they opened an AK on him. What the okay, dude? Yeah, and can you imagine like the surgery to remove the bullet? Oh, I... that's some Civil War surgery shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. insane. Yep. So he uh, hold on, let me get back to my spot. Okay, the road and river were well-traveled because the road was the only southwestern route available to get in and out of nearby Meridian. And Stucky would trade goods with the travelers who made their way along the route and offer them a place to rest. Once night fell, Stucky would take his lantern to the nearby bridge that crossed the Chunky River to garner the attention of travelers who were coming up and down the river. You know, they were either taking their goods to Meridian to sell or they were coming back home with their pockets full of money. And he would call down to them, you know, getting their attention with a light and say, hey, I've got an inn right nearby. Why don't you stop and take a break? I'll give you food and a room. You know, come on, come on down to Stucky's Inn. (laughs) Then when they were settled into their rooms and asleep, he would sneak in and kill them, usually by bashing them over the head and steal anything of value before either A, burying their bodies on the edge of the river or just dumping their bodies off of the bridge. I wonder if that's H. how H. the gas station got exactly. the names. <laughs> so many comparisons to H.H. Holmes. Uh, so. Yeah. And I was also thinking about the chain of gas stations that are called Stucky. I've wondered that too. That, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, that, that is what crossed my mind. Dear uh, Stucky CEO, let us know. <laughs> 
Stucky didn't seem to account for the fact that, you know, people might actually start to notice that folks were disappearing. So it didn't take long before, yeah, he got (laughs) caught. It was either uh, a posse with the sheriff or a vigilante mob. But I mean, same thing. (laughs) Exactly. True. Uh, He was brought in for his crimes and hanged from the very bridge he dumped his unsuspecting victims from. Oh, I love the poetry. His body was left hanging there for five days. Someone finally got sick of the smell because South Mississippi, uh, any time of year, is going to be hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Humid. Yeah. So they cut him down and his body dropped to its eternal resting place in the Chunky River. The Chunky River. I love it. The bridge Stucky was allegedly hanged from was built in 1850, but it was torn down and replaced by a truss bridge in 1901. Even so, many people believe his spirit still haunts the area, pissed that he was given the same fate as his unsuspecting victims. Mm. Ain't that the shit, my dude? <laughs> yeah. Pe- yes. People who have been on the bridge at night claim to have heard splashes in the water with no known source as if a body is being dropped others, i know others have seen a ghostly apparition of a rotting corpse hanging from the bridge jesus but most, but most often folks claim to see the ghostly light of stucky's lantern waving back and forth on the bridge okay ghost lights freak me the fuck out so yeah i would lose yeah. my Why? mind I don't, there's something about like a light where there should not be that just bothers me i can't deal with it <laughs> we all have our icks right <laughs> so the bridge was designated as the mississippi landmark in 1984 and added to the national register of historic places in 1988 it's been closed to traffic for years but it's now kind of a party spot for teens and a prime location for ghost hunters it has been featured on a couple of shows so if you ever find yourself near Meridian, Mississippi, consider God making, bless you. <laughs> consider well, it's I mean you go you, like you pass Meridian if you're going to Florida, yeah, because we go through yeah. it. That's where we yeah. stop on our way to visit the in-laws. So if you ever find yourself near Meridian, consider making a detour to Stucky Bridge Road in Savoy, Mississippi, and look for a sign that says Stucky Bridge Road closed, and maybe you'll just see the man in the legend for yourself. Yes. I love it. Yes. Me so, too. So that is, and again, you, you know me, I'm normally going to be hunting down trying to find the true story. There's nothing. No. Yeah. It's, it's it's all made up, but it's still. still. I love a good haunted very bridge. Entertaining. Yes. I do too. I do and too. it's scary. It's scary because it's in the middle of the woods. So it kind of plays along with your first story, Hannah. Yeah. yeah. It's in the woods. So, all right, Sheena, let's get into some all houses. Right. I'm I'm not in the woods, but um, uh, kind of close to it. No, I just wanted to tell a good haunted house story, and um, so I decided to stick with close to home. And I'm talking about a haunted house in Memphis, Tennessee, and it's a place that I've been to several times. Hannah, me yes. and you went on yep. an investigation there once. Um, yep. I know I've taken Spencer there, maybe other people. Um, I've seen a ghostly butt impression there and a ghost cat. Yes, I was there for the ghost cat. Not the ghost butt, though. I think that was Spencer. Um, Of course, Spencer would get the ghost butt. Wouldn't he, though? Anyway. um, (laughs) Yeah, so strap in for a story about ghostly butts and ghostly cats. Okay. 
So picture it, it's Memphis, the early 1870s. It's post-Civil War. It's pre-yellow fever epidemics. The 50-year-old city has been through quite a bit of change during and after the Civil War, and much more change is on the horizon. Some families were devastated by the war, but some people were still doing quite well, you know, probably because they were white. Um, mm-hmm. Amy. Amos Woodruff was a successful carriage maker in New Jersey. Um, so I like to think of I him love the as name kind of like Amos. A, I do too. It's a good name. Um, I like to think he was kind of like a car maker, except it was carriages. I don't know why well, yeah. I think that's cute, but I think it's cute. Uh, he was from New Jersey, a, a complete Yankee, but he moved down heart. to Memphis in 1845. To expand his business. And he did so well in Memphis. He got involved in a lot of other business ventures like cotton insurance, railroads, banks, a hotel, and a lumber company. So he was making bank. Um, He purchased some land to build a home for his family on what was then the outskirts of the city, about three miles from the Mississippi River, which is... Not far. Well, it's downtown. Yeah. Now, yes, that is considered downtown. But at the time, this was the boonies. Oh, uh, Lord. The house is on Adams Street, um, which was then called Millionaire's Row because of all the wealthy families that built mansions on that street. Hell yeah. And because there are several of these homes left, now we all call it Victorian Village. And it is. It's awful close to downtown. It's right behind La Bonner uh, Children's Hospital. So it's not far from downtown whatsoever. But back then, yes, they were in the woods. It's a five-story French Victorian mansion that cost Ooh. Amos $40,000 to build in the early 1870s. <laughs> which that hurts I my know. feelings. It hurts mine, too. Today would be over $1.5 of course. Okay. And probably way more than that because inflation calendars only go back to eight, 1913. Yeah. So. yeah. Probably way more than that. Uh, the home has 18 large rooms, three great halls, two tower lookouts on the fourth and fifth levels, and it's just gorgeous. It is stunning. So Amos was about 50 when he built the home for his family, and this included his wife, Phoebe, and his four children, Sarah, who went by Sally. She was 22. Mary Louise, a.k.a. Molly, who's 20. Cora, who was eight, and Frank, who was six. And they lived in the home from 1871 to 1883. By the way, complete taking out of this story for a moment because the name Phoebe reminded me. Rest in peace, Matthew Perry. Yes. I'm very sad about that loss. Yes. Very sad. God love him. Yeah. I know. And condolences to his family. We were thinking about you, Keith. Yes. We love you, Keith Morrison. Anyway. um, So... After the house, back to the story. After the house was built, Amos and Phoebe hosted their daughter Molly's wedding at the house. This was like right after it was open. It was around Christmas time. She married Egbert Wooldridge. What a great name. I love it. I do too. (laughs) Uh, The couple lived on the second floor of the home. In 1875, Molly gave birth in her bedroom, which they call the Rose Room. And depending on what story you read, her her baby died either that same day or a few days later. Oh, so they were happened. devastated. Yeah, Molly and Egbert were just horribly upset. Three months later, Molly faced another major loss. Egbert was out fishing, 
and eating barbecued pork as a newspaper <laughs> mentioned, which I love. I'm like Memphis gonna yeah, Memphis. Memphis. Yeah, it's... yeah. But he was injured in a boating accident. Oh, um, and he contracted pneumonia from his time in the water, and he died in May of 1875 at the age of 29. So this was three Damn. months after losing the baby. Jeez, Molly, girl. I know. And of course, because this is the way things were done back then, his funeral took place in the home. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So I, everyone really has always felt very sad for Molly because, I mean, I I can't imagine facing those two huge losses back to back. Now, in 1883, she remarried to a man named James Henning, and they moved to a house on Poplar Avenue. And unfortunately, a few years into their marriage, she lost another child shortly after birth. Oh, Molly. Her second husband, James, died in 1905 at the age of 56, and Molly followed in 1917 at the age of 65. Molly's bedroom at the Woodruff Fontaine house, like I said, it's called the Rose Room. It's beautiful. It's very feminine, lots of pink. And there are a lot of like, um, just a lot of feminine kind of touches. And there's also kind of a room in there for like kids toys and stuff like that. It's one of the most haunted rooms in the building. Uh, she's been seen in that room specifically sitting on the bed. The staff will fix the bed and make sure that the quilt on top is smoothed out, but inevitably there will be a butt impression. And I have been in this house and seen the bedspread be perfectly beautiful. And you come back five minutes later and there's a butt on it. And I'm like, well, hey, Molly, how you doing? Um, rumor has it she gets fussy when you try to redecorate. She will break things or slam doors, which I'm like, please Fair. respect her. Please. Res- this was her home. She's got her shit how she likes it. Leave it alone. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Molly and her two sisters lived into their 60s. Their brother, brother Frank, died in his 40s. Uh, hmm. Heart issues. And we'll get to where all they're buried in a bit. Moving on to the Fontaines of the Woodruff Fontaine House, because it's called the Woodruff Fontaine House. So the yellow fever epidemics of 1873 and 1878 were devastating for the whole city, but also to the Woodruffs. So they moved in in 1871, but by 1883, uh, the Woodruffs were not doing as great financially. So Amos moved his family out of the mansion and he sold the house to Noland Fontaine. Basically, these families switched houses. The Woodruffs moved into the Fontaine's former residence on Madison Avenue, and the Fontaine's moved into the Woodruff home. That's smart. Worked out. Now, Nolan was a super rich cotton supplier. His company was the world's third largest cotton company in the world. So Nolan has money. Yeah. He's kind of cute, too. Um, However, he and his wife, Virginia, um, had many, many children, which is terrifying. So (laughs) there wasn't else to do. (laughs) I know, I know. But this many children freaked me out. (laughs) Virginia. Okay. So Nolan was about 43 when they moved in. Virginia was about 39. Here are all their kids. Their eldest was a daughter named Molly. Uh, Yes, I get it. That's confusing because we just had a Molly in the previous story. But you know what? Get over it. Molly was 18. It's a common name. It was. And it's almost always spelled for both of these stories, M-O-L-L-I-E, which I like. Oh, I love that. Um, Williamson was 17, but he died about a year after they moved into the house from typhoid fever. So they probably Oof. had his 
funeral there. They had Emma, who was 14, Virginia, who was 12, Nolan II, who was 10, Edward, who was 8, Martha, who was 5, and Elliot, who was born about a year after they moved in, and then Seward, I hope I'm saying that right, Seward, Seward. Sounds about right. Yeah, he, um, uh, I was about to get real hateful. Well, we don't have him for long. Well, she oh. it doesn't matter. Uh, he was born in 1885, and he died about a year later. Oh, poor C-word. I know. So the Fontaines did see a few deaths, I mean, a few births in this home because a couple of their kids were born there. But then they also grieved um, Williamson, you know, um, mm-hmm. and Seward, who were young when they died. So it's sad. Now, yeah. the Fontaines' eldest daughter daughter molly married dr william taylor on valentine's day 1886 in the home she was 21 um as a wedding gift nolan built a the couple a new home directly across the street from their own it took about four years to build so molly and her husband lived on the second floor of the woodger fontaine home and then molly and her husband moved into the new house and they lived there until their deaths no tragedy like the first molly right uh, the Taylors had one daughter, Virginia. She grew into adulthood. That house is still there. It's now a bar called Molly Fontaine's. It's one of the most beloved bars in the city. Okay. Um, but uh, meanwhile, and this is the fun part of the story until we get to some depressing stuff. Uh, <laughs> while the Fontaine's lived at the mansion, they became known for the luxurious parties they threw there. Hell uh, yeah. They With held the last a, name like Fontaine, you need to be whooping it you up. Need to be, you need to be fancy. They held a political party for Adlai Stevenson, the uh, VP candidate for President Grover Cleveland, and politicians from all levels, from local to state to federal, all party at the house, including president grover cleveland and then john philip sousa performed at their parties which i was like okay i was like okay why is this a big deal why is everyone mentioning it (laughs) then i read up on him and if you were lost like i was i was somebody wasn't a band kid (laughs) nope sure wasn't um i dated guys in the band but i was not a band kid uh, he wrote a lot of American military marches, and he was known as the March King. He wrote the Stars and Stripes Forever, you know, dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 Every Fourth of July Fidelis. parade, you'll yes. hear, yeah. The Liberty Bell, which was Monty Python's Flying Circus TV credits theme, the Washington Post March, you know, real party music. <laughs> the stuff you love to get down to and twerk to when you're drinking it up. Um, anyway, now I'm picturing a bunch of Victorians twerking to Sousa. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. Somebody draw that that for us, please. Yes, please. Uh, the Fontaines also replaced the home's gas powered lights with electricity, which was a big deal. It had only been introduced in Memphis in 1882. So they were right on top of that trend. Did they do the electric slide? I hope they did. And I hope they did it to some John Philip Sousa. I mean, <laughs> what else are you going to do the electric slide to? But stars Absolutely. and forever get down. <laughs> Please imagine those were those terrible air horns they have in songs. <laughs> I hate that stuff, but I love like every song I love has them. And I'm like, stop it. Some of us have noise sensitivities. Or we're driving um, and we're like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, yeah, that too. That too. Yeah. Um, now here's where things get fun. Oh, so dear. in September. 
I've heard that this was in the middle of a party, but I don't know how true that is. But in September 1912, so fast forward several years, uh, Nolan Fontaine all of a sudden needed some exploratory surgery. Possibly in the middle of a party, maybe not, I don't know. But Molly's husband, Dr. William Taylor, was a doctor. So in the main parlor and ballroom of this house, he's like, well, let's just crack you open and see what's going on. So we're all trash. Let's cut open grandpa. Again, <laughs> I don't know. I it seems t-shirt, like every t-shirt time quotes, <laughs> we're all trash. Cut open grandpa. <laughs> I love it. Again, I swear, every time I've toured this place, I've been told that this was in the middle of a party. Like, he had some kind of medical incident, and they were like, let's crack him open. But then when I found stories about it online, it didn't mention the party. It just said that they just had the surgery in the ballroom. And I'm like, okay, perfect place to have a, you know, that's exactly where I would want my surgery to take place, where everyone has drank a lot. Right on the dinner table. Yeah, right on the dinner table. Um... Elliot, who was their last surviving, not last surviving son, but like the baby of the family. Um, He's a grown man by this point. He watches the whole thing from the corner of the room. And he watches as his dad dies from this surgery. Oh, Elliot, baby. Elliot kept a journal and uh, the Woodruff Fontaine house still has his journal. And so there is a... De- uh, an entry from the date where his dad died september 14th saturday this is his quote from the his journal my father died from the operation at 4:40 today may god give my mother the strength to bear the loss with christian resignation it's a cruel blow to us all but we have the consolation knowing what we did was right Ooh, i guess Cryptic. because they were like it kind of was and i'm like i guess that's the whole well we feel like we, we feel like we have to crack him open and see what's going on right i don't know um, but Nolan's widow, Virginia, and Elliot, because they were the last two living in a house, all the other kids had married and moved away or at least moved to a, a new house in the city, you know. Or died. They were absolutely devastated, you know. Um, so Nolan's funeral, of course, took place in the house. Um, and Nolan and Eddie, Elliot did not want to leave his mother living there by herself in this huge house after you know, her husband had passed, so he stayed right. on and, and took care of his mom. He was a bachelor, oh. and he loved the local social oh. scene. I oh. don't know if that means what I'm kind of inferring, or if that means he was hitting it everywhere. He could have been he, hitting But he stayed ladies. with his mama? I know, it's very Norman Bates-ish, but... Yeah. Um, but I don't... I don't know. I, re- I I never got any impression that he was gay or bi or whatever. I mean, he could have very easily, like I said, been going with every. Right. He could have been hitting up every brothel in town. For he just didn't want to get married because he wanted to be a hoe. Yeah. I he respect said he it. Loved, <laughs> same. They said he loved to go out partying at social events. Well, that to me either says you're a hoe or you're gay. That's so a Victorian way, way of saying either hoe or gay. Or both. And you know what? I'm here for it. I am here for it. Good for you, Elliot. He worked at a local bank. So, you know, he had a job. It wasn't like he was just freeloading. You know, he's he's a good job. Doing a good thing. But at the age of 34 in 1918, (gasps) Elliot contracted bacterial pneumonia due to the Spanish flu and he died. Oh, 
His funeral, of course, also took place in the home. And I'm pulling oh, yeah. that out because we don't do that anymore. And the very idea no. of it is so freaky. And so when you think about this old mansion and the number of funerals it saw, like, that's a lot. Right. And, you know, he was born in this house. You know, he wasn't born yet when they all moved in. So he born and died. He was born and died in this house. And, I mean, this is the only one he ever knew. That's how common. I mean, that was such a common thing is you lived and died. And in the, in the same, same house room, you were probably. born in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so naturally, he has come back to spend his afterlife there. Good. I've heard that he likes to mess with women. So maybe he Ooh. was a straighty and just like to, you know, I'm going to pull your hair because you're cute. I don't know. Um, he'll touch you and stuff like that. Now, there are some reports of there being an angry spirit that is kind of more aggressive. I don't know why. I just get the vibe that that's not Elliot. Maybe it is, but right. I don't know. There was a spirit Well, if he at some was point, a dandy, you know. I would not think he'd be doing that. And if right. he really was into the ladies, I wouldn't think he'd be mean about it. But who knows? Some men no. are. Hey. Um, but at some point, some woman was taking a tour and her necklace was ripped off upstairs so that to me is a little scary um anyway so this left behind virginia fontaine nolan's widow who lived at the home until her passing also in the home at um the age of 83 in 1928 and then the home was bad i know proud of her good job ma'am uh the home was then sold to rosa lee who had an art school in memphis um, she then moved the art school to Overton Park in 1959, and it became the Memphis College of Art. Um, and so the Witcher of Fontaine House was vacant until 1961 when the Association for the Preservation of Tennessee Antiquities restored it. And now it's a house museum. It has been a house museum since then. It is open for tours, so you can go pretty well anytime. They, it is a hugely popular wedding venue. They have the most beautiful wedding photos when you go on their website, social media, whatever. And the carriage like, houses are like the size of my apartment. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the carriage house out back is gorgeous. It, it's old, rustic looking, and it's kind of creepy too. Um, I know we went in there for the ghost hunt, and, yeah. and it, was, it was a little spooky. But it's, it's a, I just think it's a really cool house. Um. And they also have a lot of different special events. They do have the occasional ghost hunt. They have twilight tours. They have exhibitions. Every year around spooky season, they have a whole exhibition about mourning in Memphis. I think that's what it's called, actually. So they have, like, mannequins dressed up in Victorian funeral dresses. They have, um, you know, po- post-mortem photography. They have hair art, which the Victorians made yeah. after someone was um, passed away. And they say they have that activity. really cool music box, too. That Yes, I love that thing. It's so cool. Um, and, and they say activity always spikes when that exhibition was on, which I'm like, yes, yeah, you're triggering them. Tell. Right. Um, and they've also had yellow fever epidemic, um, exhibitions, which are really cool because it kind of shows you like what the nurses and stuff would have worn and, and just what Memphis was like during that time. The ghost hunters team investigated the home in 2014. I went back and watched the episode the other day. Um, Jason Halls was scratched. When he asked Elliot about watching his dad die, which I'm Ooh. like, I think that's fair, Jason. I'm sorry. You asked me about my daddy dying. I'm on right. too because I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and I like, didn't even watch my dad die. Like, I couldn't, you know? So it's right. like. Especially not it, cut open a, in the middle of a ballroom by your brother-in-law. And then Adam, sweet Adam Barry, who I adore. He was touched in Molly's room. 
Um, and also looked like The Rock was there earlier this year because they filmed an episode of Young Young Rock there, um, okay. which is so wild. Because ever since this TV show Young Rock came about, it's like ever so often someone will be like, "Hey, The Rock is at such and such place in Memphis," and it's like, "Okay, oh, because well, yeah. of his daddy, I, yeah." yeah. He's like, "Why would he be in Memphis?" Uh, but yeah, his daddy was a wrestler. Isn't yeah. No, they filmed a season here, and a girl I used to work yeah. with was an extra in one of the episodes. So yeah, yeah. I want to say I heard they had Elmwood in one episode, but I'm not sure. And then, but the carriage house that we went in, Hannah, that was yeah. used as a coffee shop. In oh, some okay. episodes, I saw some screenshots, and I'm like, that's 100 percent the carriage house, but they make it look like a coffee shop. It does not look I like love it's it. a, a carriage house. Yeah, at all um anyway i say all that to say if you're in memphis hit up this house it's really lovely um yes. but where are all of these families buried well of course they are all at elmwood cemetery yay uh the woodruffs are in leno circle which is the center of the cemetery it is where all the richest of the rich people are buried their lot is kind of simple compared to those surrounding it but it's really pretty um interesting to me though most of the family doesn't have markers um hmm. if they do have markers it's either for babies that died in the family um you know as infants or they have a flat stone um but like there's no marker for amos or his wife and i don't think any of the siblings really have any of the kids really have one the biggest i know the biggest monument in the lot is a huge cross and it belongs to egbert Okay, it's really Edward. lovely, actually. Yeah, I think Molly, of course, in her grief, wanted something very nice for her husband, which I don't blame right. her. And then Molly herself didn't have her own stone until 2019. Molly. Jesus. Yeah. Over 100 years after her passing, um, some speculated her soul wasn't at rest because she didn't have a marker. I don't really believe that, but okay. But anyway, the Associ Association for the Preservation of Tennessee Antiqu Antiquities held a little ceremony for her at Elmwood, complete with a minister who gave a sermon. And her monument, it's one of those, it's just a simple, pretty flat stone. It has her name and dates, but I love her epitaph. It says, sheltered and safe from sorrow. Oh, after what all she went through in her life. Yeah, she needed that. And a husband. Yes, now she is shelter sheltered and safe from sorrow. Um, but not too far away in sort of the western side of the cemetery is the Fontaine family lot. It is big and nice and fancy. It has nice curbing, welcome you in, welcoming you into the plot, and it says Nolan Fontaine on it. And there's a huge monument inside that says Nolan that reads Fontaine. And then most of them have cradle graves, which if you don't know what yeah. cradle graves are, those are graves that are shaped like bathtubs or like cradles. They're so um, fucking cool. They're so cool. They are um they the Victorians use them a lot, especially in Memphis. It's I've seen because I've had a lot of guests come through and be like, I've never seen graves like this before anywhere. And I'm like, uh it's okay. a Memphis thing. It's a Memphis thing, I guess. They're supposed to symbolize that you were a child of God and your family was supposed to garden that that yeah, put flowers and put flowers in there. Instead of bringing you some fakies, they were supposed to garden it and you would always have flowers over your grave, which is lovely. Um and I, if I'm not mistaken, and if she listens to this, she can let me know. I think it's my friend Rachel works at Woodruff Fontaine, and I think she cradle gardens all of them now. We have volunteers at Elmwood who adopt 
these cradle graves and they garden them because a lot of these families have died out or moved away. I think Rachel gardens all of the cradles that are in the Fontaine lot. Whoever does it does a great job. Let us know, Rachel. Yeah, if you're listening. Or uh, who I do know listens is my friend Edna, who does work at um, Woodrow Fontaine. She may not know who does the cradle gardening, but shout out to Edna because I like going ghost hunting with her. She is good people. Um, Anyway, the Fontaines in that plot include the whole family, basically. Um, Nolan, Virginia, Williamson, Virginia, the daughter, Nolan II, Martha, Edward, Seward, and Elliot. Um, Emma Fontaine, who married Majors Lewis Meacham, uh, so she's one of the siblings. She is buried at the Meacham family plot, and that's over at Lino Circle, almost directly in front of the Woodruffs. And then Molly Fontaine is buried across the street from the Fontaines, which is just like in Life and Death. You know, her daddy had her across the street. Well, now in death, she and her husband are across the street from the main Fontaine lot. Uh, they have a big cross monument, and they have some smaller individual monuments. So, anyway, that is the tragic tale of the Woodruff Fontaine, Fontaine families and their spooky house. And, yes, they do have a ghost cat. I forgot to mention that. Yes. When we were doing that ghost tour, me and Hannah, all those years mm-hmm. ago, feels like it was forever yes. ago. I know. Um, we were walking from the main, it was like a late, like, midnight ghost tour yeah, or something. Yeah, it was because we had to take a nap before because we... Yes, we did. Um, we were walking from the main house to the carriage house, and I saw a cat. And I, and of course, anytime I see a cat, I'm like, look, Hannah, there's a cat. Because we were, we were very cats. excited, yes. And one of the ghost hunter guys was like, did you just see a cat? And I'm like, yes, that's why I said, hey, look, there's a cat. And he's like, oh, there's a ghost cat out here. And I was <laughs> like, what? And sure enough, I didn't see it anywhere else. Like, it was, and it looked shadowy. Like, it didn't look, yeah. you know, you couldn't see, like black and white patches on it or an orange color you just or knew it, it just was looked... like cat shape yeah yeah and i was just like oh look a kitty yeah so anyway so yeah they have i don't know who owned the cat that now the cat is dead and now the cat haunts <laughs> the place too but whatever more power to that cat so maybe he's a street cat you're maybe. right like one maybe. of mcduff's compatriots yeah maybe a mcduff ancestor because you know mcduff's just from down the road in Whitehaven, so yeah, yep. he's from the street his... streets. I tell him that all the time. I'm like, you're a tough street street cat from Whitehaven, and and then he does something very wimpy. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> he's like, well, now I'm an then indoor he... cat. <laughs> then he yeah. barfs on your bed. <laughs> yeah, or you know, a couple weeks ago it was, oh, I have some poop stuck to my butt. Let me get it off on your bed, mom. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. Yep. 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 The Why would you just let me catch you where I could pull it off your myself? Butt. Been yeah. there, done that for you before. Why can't you let me? Why'd you have to do it on the bed? Like, we already have enough chaos happening with the flood. <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, who's next? Hannah? Hannah's got one more. Or All right. Two more, but... two more. Two more. Okay. This one is actually going to have, a, like, a little bit of dialogue in the middle. So you guys will get Ooh. to hear me not be able to act. Okay. But we're getting this... your Oscar ready. Yes, this is creepy pasta. Um, this is called the disappearance of Ashley, Kansas. Um, and that is Ashley, a city in Kansas, not because oh. Ashley, Kansas sounds like a porn name, doesn't it? It does. I was about <laughs> to say, yeah, it sounds like something. But no, 
This is a place. So sometime during the night of August 16th, 1952, don't make that face, <laughs> the small town of Ashley, Kansas ceased to exist. At 3.28 a.m. on August 17th, 1952, a magnitude 7.9 earthquake was measured by the United States Geological Survey. The earthquake itself was felt throughout the state and most of the Midwest. The epicenter was determined to be directly under Ashley, Kansas. When state law enforcement arrived at what should have been the outskirts of the farming community, they found a smoldering, burning fissure in the earth measuring 1,000 yards in length and approximately 500 yards in width. Girl math, I don't know how big that is. Um, <laughs> Same. The depth of the fissure was never determined. Well, let's see. A football field is 100 yards. So it's 100 football fields in length. <laughs> and five in width. Okay, that's big. Yep. That's a lot. Okay. After 12 days, the statewide and local search for the missing 679 residents of Ashley was called off by the Kansas state government at 9.15 on the night of ooh, August 29th, 1952. All, for those who do August 29th is Katrina. <laughs> um, yeah. All 679 residents were assumed to be dead. At 2.27 a.m. on August 30th, a magnitude 7.5 earthquake was measured by the United States Geological Survey. The epicenter was also situated under what used to be Ashley, Kansas. When law enforcement investigated at 530 in the morning, they reported that the fissure in the earth had closed. In the eight days leading up to the disappearance of the town and its 679 residents, bizarre and unexplainable events were reported by dozens of residents and law enforcement from the surrounding areas. On the evening of August 8th, 1952, at 7.13 p.m., a resident by the name of Gabriel Jonathan reported a strange sight in the sky above Ashley. The town itself, having no official branch of law enforcement, called into the police station of the neighboring town of Hayes. Gabriel reported to reported what appeared to be a small black opening in the sky. I would be out. I'd get my <laughs> horse and buggy. I'm leaving. Within the next 15 minutes, the Hayes police station became overwhelmed with dozens of phone calls, all reporting the same phenomenon. The phenomenon was never reported by any neighboring communities. A decision was made to send a trooper to Ashley to investigate the matter the following morning. At 7.54 on August 9th, Hayes Police Officer Alan Mace radioed the Hayes Police Station. He reported that despite the following the one-way road leading into Ashley, he had become lost. According to his report, the road continued along its normal path, but somehow ended up back in Hayes. Officer Mace went on to add that the road never curved or bent in any direction. At 9.15 a.m., seven of the town's ten police cars were sent to investigate the situation, and all members of the team came to the same conclusion. The only road leading into Ashley had stopped leading into Ashley, but instead, <laughs> back to Hayes. Phone calls continued to pour into the Hayes police station, all reporting that the black opening in the sky continued to grow in size. All callers were advised to remain inside and to not travel outside unless absolutely necessary. That night, Mrs. Cal Mrs. Elaine Cantor reported her neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Milton, and their two children, Jeffrey and Brooke, missing. According to Mrs. Cantor's phone call, the Miltons attempted to leave town in their family car earlier in the evening. What did they say? They never <laughs> returned. Law enforcement officials from Hayes never reported the cars or individuals coming up the one-way road. 
At 7.38 a.m. on the morning of August 10th, phone calls from Ashley into the Hayes Police Station reported that the town was in total darkness. The sun had never risen. At 10.15 a.m. at the request of Hayes law enforcement, a helicopter, which I guess they had in 1952, from Topeka flew over the region. The town could not be observed from the air. Uh-oh. At 12.43 in the afternoon of August 11th, Mrs. Phoebe Danielowski called into the Hayes police station. She reported that her daughter, Erica, had begun to have conversations with her father, who died three years previously in a drunk driving accident. To add to her concern, Mrs. Danielowski reported that Erica was attempting to go outside into the dark to join them. Uh-oh. Over the course of the next 12 hours, a reported 329 phone calls were placed in the Hayes police station, all describing similar phenomenon with children of the town. The following morning of August 12th, the situation became dire. During the middle of the night, all 217 children in the town of Ashley, Kansas, disappeared. Uh A reported 421 police calls were placed into the police department. Unable to be of any assistance, Hayes Law Enforcement instructed all callers to remain inside and avoid any attempts to find the missing children. At 5.19 p.m. on the evening of August 13th, Ashley elderly man Scott Luntz reported a growing distant fire to the south. According to his description, the fire seemed to turn the distant black into bright red and orange that seemed to extend high into the sky. Luntz is a poet. Throughout the rest of the day, calls continued in, stating that the fire, in addition to moving north, now seemed to be coming out of the black sky. No fire was ever witnessed by any of the neighboring communities or law enforcement. The reports continued until after midnight on the morning of August 14th. The last phone call, placed by a Mr. Benjamin Endicott, reported that the fire in the sky had grown so intense as it began to appear as daytime over the town the phone call ended abruptly from the phone call benjamin just hold on wait silence yeah yeah i see something it's to the south it looks like and the phone call ends Uh uh-oh the next phone call wouldn't be placed until the following evening the following is the final transcript of the phone call received by the hayes county or the hayes police department out of the town of ashley kansas it was placed at 9.46 p.m. on the evening of August 15th. In this, reported, in this recorded phone call, the officer on duty is Officer Peter Welsh. The caller has been identified as Ms. April Foster. Begin call. Officer Welsh. Hayes Police Department. Static. Officer Welsh. Hello? Foster. Yes. Yes. Hello? Ma'am, who am I speaking with? My name is April. April Foster. Cough. Please, sir. Please help me. What is happening, ma'am? Last night. Last night they came back. Ma'am, I need you to be... Last night they came back. She (laughs) begins to cry. Ma'am, I'm going to need you to calm down and speak clearly. What happened? Who came back? Crying. Everyone. Everyone? They all came in the fire. What do you mean, everyone? My son. I saw my son last night. He was walking. He was walking down the street. He was burned. Jesus Christ, he was burned. Ma'am, I he died last year. I raised him since he was a baby. It was just me and him. I told him to watch for cars when he rode his bike, but he never wanted to listen. 
ma'am, what you're saying isn't making any sense. You said everyone came back. Are you fucking listening to me? Everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone came back. Everyone who died or went missing, they're back and they're looking for us. Cries. He, He said, mommy, I'm okay now. See, I can walk again. Where are you, mommy? I want to see you. The crying continues. Ma'am, where are you now? Are you safe? I'm hiding, just like everyone else. We saw them coming through the fields, and some opened their doors for them. God, the screaming. Uh I don't want what happened to them, but their houses caught fire, and they caved in. I have my curtains drawn, and I'm hiding in the closet right now, and... Ma'am, is everything all right? Are you okay? More silence. Ma'am? Glass breaking. Oh, oh my God. Ma'am? Something just came in. Ma'am, stay as quiet as you can. Don't make a sound. Muffled. Mommy. Mommy. (laughs) He cries. He came inside. Stay absolutely still. Don't leave. There's the sound of footsteps. Mommy. Mommy, where are you hiding? Officer Welsh says, stay (laughs) quiet. Sound of heavy footsteps. Laughter. I found you, mommy. Indiscernible screaming and noise. Ma'am, ma'am. And the phone call ends. The following morning at 6.55 a.m., the law enforcement officials of Hayes Police Department arrived at the location of Ashley, Kansas. A smoldering, burning fissure in the earth was all that remained. Well, someone took God off. (laughs) Somebody. He sent a bunch of plagues to that city. (laughs) Right? My goodness. That was a good one, Spider-Man. You and the kids' <laughs> stories today. Yeah. Kids are fucking terrifying. Yes. Especially mine. No, mine are. <laughs> Yours are adorable. Sweet, I'm sorry. angel babies. Based on the pictures of them being um, little chefs with Bonnie's little mustache. Italian mustache. Uh, so it was our last horse show of the season last night. And since it was around Halloween, we did a costume class for all the kitties. And this year I let the kids decide what they wanted to be. And Sawyer wanted to be a butcher, but I was like, yeah, we're not doing that. Uh, But Bonnie said a chef. And so I was like, great. What do you want easy to be? A piece of pizza. Okay. Love it. We, we got this and we'll, I'll share the the picture. I'll I'll send you a picture to post because it is so stinking cute. So anyways, so I ordered them little chef outfits off of Amazon and my sister-in-law, Katie Jane Pope is an absolute <laughs> boss ass bitch y'all she got a 20 dollars sewing machine off of facebook marketplace <laughs> she sewed these pizzas for this horse to wear <laughs> had to teach herself how to use it because it didn't come with instructions so she just went to I google love it and like she was so extra because like i would have just like, cause we use felt to cover cause we use like thick foam that you would use to make like furniture cushions mm-hmm. and felt. So she hemmed the felt on the cheese. So like she cut it out so that it would look like dripping cheese, but then she hemmed wow. it. Wow. <laughs> he hemmed all the pepperonis. And that is amazing. And I made him this little breast collar thing he wore on his neck that said Pope's Pizzeria. Oh, cute! Uh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't get a good picture of it, but I'll I'll try to get a close up. Uh, But yes, so I got these little little mustaches because I was going to make Sawyer wear one, and 
he he put it on and then Bonnie's like, well, I want to wear it too. And so yes. they led their pony who wore a giant slice of pepperoni pizza on either side. And uh, yeah, they were sh- pizza chefs. Uh, I love it. Pepperoni pizza. And it was so cute. And I was so proud of it. But me and KK so are cute. very, we're extra. <laughs> and, and, and I kept saying, thank you so much. I can't believe you're doing this. And she's like, look, if I didn't want to do this, I wouldn't be doing it. But she yeah. likes it. But That's she's so sweet. Like, she, she hand sewed his costume for, um, oh, I can't think of that. When he had to dress up as Davy Crockett. Pioneer Day. Oh, yeah. She hand sewed it to make it look more, you know. Authentic. Yeah. So she is just. That's awesome. I don't know if she's listens, but KK, I love you so much. You're amazing. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's awesome. All right, so we decide. Hannah decided she's gonna not do her third, so I'm yes. gonna wrap us up. Okay, yes. perfect. So my next story, we're gonna stay in Meridian, Mississippi, which Ooh. is home to the grave of Kelly Mitchell, the queen of the Gypsy Nation. Henceforth, I will refer to them as Romani. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Yes, just to be as PC as possible. Kelly and her tribe were camped in Cotopa, Alabama, where she was struggling through the labor of her 14th or 15th child. Oh, oh. God bless her. Uh, yeah. And this was... That poor uterus was like, nope. <laughs> I, this was 1915, so... Ooh. Oh! Yeah. Bless her heart. Her husband, King Emil, was despondent and was said to have offered doctors up to $10,000... More than $300,000 in today's money, if they could save her. Sadly, no one was able to do anything to help her. Aww. And she died on January 31st, 1915, at the age of 47. So Ooh. that's old to be having babies in 2023. So yeah. right. very sad. However, because... Romani tradition required representatives from all the nations tribes attend. Her body was taken 45 miles west to Meridian, which was the nearest morgue and ice house because they needed to preserve her body before the funeral could be held. Mm-hmm. Accounts differ. I've seen it two ways. I've seen it say she was, she was put on ice, so to speak for 12 days, but most, most things I've read say six weeks. Ooh. So that, the more than $20,000 Romani mourners could make their way to Meridian. Her funeral service was held at the much too small St. Paul's Episcopal Church. So many of the mourners had to gather outside because that's 20,000 people that just descended on this town. Yeah, that's a lot. She was buried at Rose Hill Cemetery where her grave is marked by a headstone and a wolf stone, which is what the large flat stone that covers a grave is called. So something new I learned. Rumors ran wild that Kelly had been buried in a casket of pure gold. And I did see that there were newspapers that were reporting this. Oh, wow. With, with riches of gold, like a gold uh, coin necklace around her neck. And it was believed that the mourners had thrown gold on top of her casket, which these okay. rumors and fucking newspaper reports, quality yeah. journalism there, led to numerous grave robbery attempts over the years. Imagine that. And her wolfstone still bears the cracks from those break-in attempts. Oh, man. None of the rumors were true. 
no casket was sold in Meridian made of any precious metal in the year of her death. And while it is common practice among the Romani people to toss coins into the graves at funerals, it's typically small small quantities like pennies, dimes, not gold. Right. Or you don't want to like put your family's entire income into your dead loved one's casket. Yeah. yeah. Like it's so, a thought, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So King Emil's sister, Flora, would replace Kelly as queen, but don't worry, there was no incest involved. Okay. We're not she, doing a Lannister here. No, no. I freaked out for a second there, but no. That's is she yeah. She served as queen until she died in Yazoo City, Mississippi on January eighth, nineteen thirty, at the age of seventy. And she was buried oh. in the same plot as Kelly. King Emil would remarry a woman named Lapa, but there are no record, like, I couldn't find anything that said how long they were married or when she died yeah. or anything like that. Emil died on October 16th, 1942 in Albertville, Alabama at age 85, and he was laid to rest between Kelly and Flora at Rose Hill Cemetery. And all three graves have the same, they have the headstone noting their role in the Romani culture and then uh, the wolf stone as well. Oh. Visitors to the cemetery will often leave gifts of cigarettes, Mardi Gras beads, sodas, beer, alcohol, just any fun little gift as an offering in hopes that Emil, Kelly, or Flora will visit them in their dreams and help provide answers to their problems. Oh. The great I mean, if you bring me some soda, I'm going to tell you what you want to know. Yeah, one of the one of the things I was reading that people leave orange soda because apparently uh Queen Kelly loved orange soda. Um hmm. and Fair. I mean she she could have because I think the it was invented in 1905. So it yeah, very well could have had it. I do a lot for a Fanta. I mean Exactly, exactly. True. So um so yeah, so that's that's their thought because you know the Romani culture is, you know, fortune tellers, and there's actually many descendants of the Mitchell family still in um the Meridian area today. Mm-hmm. Uh Rose Hill Cemetery is full of people from the Romani tribe. And um, there's a lady, one of the articles that I'll link in the show notes. uh, There's a lady there who is a fortune teller that claims she is a descendant of. I don't know if she is or not, but probably is. I mean, after you have 14 kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's a big family tree. Yes, it is. So the graves are one of the most visited historic landmarks in Meridian and can be visited day or night, 24 hours a day, except on Halloween when the caretaker locks the gates. Smart. <laughs> that caretaker's that like, I ain't having y'all yes. fucking yes. on my graves. Yes. Yes. So that is the little short, kind of spooky, kind of interesting story. Of I love Hannah, it. No, that's Kelly so Mitchell. cool. Yeah. I've been wanting to to do something with her for a while, but it's... You know, there's not a lot of information. Like, I have no pictures of her. I have a picture of King Emil, and he was uh, interesting looking. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. So I, so this yeah. was the perfect opportunity to to throw that one in. Especially, I uh, was researching Stucky's Bridge first, and I was like, oh, Meridian. Maybe I can kind of. I had another. There's another bridge I was talking about do or thinking about doing Burnt Bridge Road, which is near Hattiesburg. Apparently, yeah. there's a a headless prom. Uh, mm. prom girl who will uh, haunt that area but was like, let's stick to meridian i can always come back to her spotlight yeah. on meridian yeah <laughs> yeah it's like between our house and florida where my in-laws live it's the only place you can stop and get food 
I mean, unless you're going to stop in Tupelo, and that's only like an hour from here. So it's like Tupelo, West Point, nothing, then Meridian three hours later. So um, I've stopped there multiple times, but I've never thought to visit either of these landmarks. And now I think we might. Yeah, I think we should. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yay. Well, I hope everyone has enjoyed these spooky tales. Um, wish yes. you many, many sleepless nights where you're too scared. I'm very to turn excited for Halloween. I'm going yes. to be slutty Mothman. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. So we need to do. Well, we need to do a feed or something, uh, Sheena, where we all post our Halloween costume pictures. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, I want to see what y'all are. Yes. I don't know what I I'm going to be on Halloween. And your babies and yes. your pets. Absolutely, everybody. Oh, McDuff has his costume already. Um. I've just been doing general spooky outfits for tours and stuff, but I think so long as the rain holds off, I'm going to Zubu with a friend of mine and her baby, and I think I'm going to be cool Aunt Barbie. I have a pink jumpsuit, like what they wear in the movie, which I've had for a couple of years now. So it's an easy costume. You throw on a pink jumpsuit and say you're Barbie. Bam, done. Absolutely. I love it. Not, Not spooky, but that's okay. Hey, and I am going to be if Mothman was a hoe. Love, love it. it. I need to be Mothman one year. I love Mothman. Yes. All, All right. Y'all. Happy All Halloween. right. Happy Halloween. Next week is random stories. Yeah. Just yes. whatever we feel like telling. Look out. You don't know what's coming. Because we're wild cards. Yes. Yeah. And hey, someone left us a review recently. I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now because I'm trash, but. Thank you to whoever did that. Yes. Um, that meant yes. a lot to us. We love um, it. Yeah. So if you want to leave us a review, hey, why don't you go do that? That would make our day, especially if it's nice. And you can email us and find us on social media and say some nice things, too. So why don't you go do that? Lori, where can they find us? We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod. Or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com absolutely yeah. it was ball 813 i mean i'm saying ball it's b-a-l 813 they said love great podcast well thank you ball 813 yes. we love you and that's a great we love review. you too so yes. um everyone go be like that person and go leave us a nice review it would make our day absolutely all right yes. all right, all right. spooky Bye. Halloween. Bye. Bye.